Hi, everyone. This is Dave Newbert, Marketing Director for Eagle Eye Power Solutions, and welcome to our podcast, DC Power Hour, the show where we will discuss everything related to, you guessed it, critical DC power solutions. So charge up, power on, or do whatever it takes to get yourself excited for the episode of DC Power Hour. Welcome back to another episode of DC Power Hour. Today, we're in for a real treat. We've got a panel of uh, roundtable experts here to talk about what happened this year at BatCon. And also, we want to get a little history on what is BatCon, why is it important to the industry. And for that, we've, we've got quite a group to talk about that today. We've got Alan, of course, who is a co-founder and Hall of Fame member. George, who was on a panel speaking this this past year. And then we've got our very own Eric Knudsen and Andrew Charlton, who were very attentive exhibitors at the show. And so we want to hear how it went, guys. Alan, I want to start with you, because you are you're the co-founder of this of this conference and this event that I think goes back how many years? 23, 24 years. Can you tell us a little bit about how it all got started? Alleged I'm the co-founder, but uh, I'll t- tell you a little bit about we'll go that. With that. This was the 24th BATCON. Of course, we skipped a year last year because of COVID. Uh, so BATCON's 25 years old. BATCON grew out of frustration. 19, can't remember the exact year, I would say 1994, 95. George and I attended a conference in somewhere in California. I think it was Santa Clara. And uh, the, the, the subject of uh, one of the day's sessions at the conference was uh, to do with batteries. Now. Uh, Valve regulated lead acid batteries had come into the fore, and uh, several companies had bet the farm on them, except they didn't work properly. And I always remember to this day, one gentleman, I won't mention his name, but he was from the FAA, and he got up and he was red-faced, and I was basically shouting insults at the battery manufacturers, BRA battery manufacturers, saying these things don't, these darn things don't work. And he was correct. So short time after that, uh, we were at another conference, and George would probably remember this as well. We were in a cheap hotel room, basically, and I put together a, a paper, uh, which I said, uh, you know, we need to do something about this. And one of the first persons I spoke to about it was a guy called Glenn Albert. And Glenn said, you know, you're right. We need to do something about this. And lo and behold, about a year later, and we had the first BATCON. Uh, I wasn't really part of the organization of that BATCON, but I like to think I was one of the drivers. So uh, first few BATCONs were a little bit contentious, uh, mainly consisted of uh, the users of ERLA batteries venting their frustrations at uh, the manufacturers, and the manufacturers venting their frustrations at the integrators. Everybody was blaming everybody else. Uh, but after a couple of years, uh, we, we managed to calm things down and talk about it. Okay, we know there's a problem. What can we do to fix it? And uh, one of the things that did happen was the uh, IEEE uh, saw fit to heavily attend BATCON, and we got some key players in the IEEE, and we were able to go forward and uh, write a meaningful maintenance program for uh, maintenance standard for BRLA batteries. And BATCON, the first BATCON was in a Marriott and Fort Lauderdale, attendees were about, I'd say, 150 to 200. They steadily grew. Second year at BATCON, the first year was chaired by a very knowledgeable gentleman called Marco Migliero. Second BATCON, I landed at Fort Lauderdale Airport, and I got a phone call from uh, Albert and said, uh, basically, Marco can't make it. Can you chair the conference? I said, uh, what? So. Uh, I ended up chairing the conference and did that for 16 years. And every year, BATCONs really improved up until uh, COVID put a halt to things. We have a technical committee, very good technical committee, represents all facets of the industry. And we also have uh, decided to limit BATCON to, I believe it was 500, 550 attendees. So it could become a very interactive conference. And uh, I know this year was a bit of a bummer because of restrictions on foreign people coming, foreign uh, travel. 
uh, BATCON is an international conference with people from South America, Europe, even as far away as New Zealand and Australia coming to the conference. And it is a very good platform. But uh, I wasn't able to make it this uh, year because of medical reasons. So this year was the first year since its inception 25 years ago that I have missed BATCON. But uh, I know uh, things were in capable hands because I knew George was going there and I knew some of you guys were going there. And I'd like to get your interaction, your uh, opinion on how BATCON went this year. Well, maybe I'll start there. I, I, I add a little bit to Alan's history part that um, as a part of the reason why he ended up as the, uh, the chair of the conference was that uh, he and I jointly produced a paper for the very first BATCON and we were both going to attend. And then we discovered, or we we were in down in Dallas, and we were asked to go out and look at a installation for the company we were doing consulting for. They said that somebody was complaining that the cabinet was bent. Went and looked at this site and discovered that the contractor installing it had dropped it. And it was bent, and you could actually just about get a business card between the metal case and the main forty-eight volt bus. So it had to be changed out. It was. Um, dangerous. In the end, the the week they wanted to change it out was the same week as BatCon, so Alan and I tossed up. Guess who won? That's why Alan went to BatCon, and I went and changed out a 2000 amp power system overnight while it was still live because it was on a main fiber optic path on the side of a railroad. And that's, uh, I'm not bitter about it in any way, shape or form, believe me, but he just keeps mentioning it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I keep looking at this plaque on my wall that says I presented at the first BATCON. Actually, do you know, I, I got a certificate this year to say I'd present, to thank me for my contribution. That, that was as far as it went. Anyway, beside the point, I, I just, I'll make a couple of other comments uh, from a, a slightly different perspective because um, it's only in, it's actually only about the last five or six years that I've actually got to go to BATCON on a, on a consistent basis. Uh, just because of uh, work and the fact that the company I was working for before I retired, uh, they and uh, the owner of that company and Glenn Albert didn't actually see eye to eye, uh, which was a shame because uh, what they were arguing about wasn't in fact true. They argued about the value between AC and DC as a as a measurement technique, and um, they both you know if you if you plot them side by side they look the same. But never mind. So uh, the, the, from a, a speaker point of view, because in fact, that's what I've done most of it's, uh, the conferences, other, unlike many other conferences that I have ever spoken at, uh, is that they are far more thorough and far harder on their speakers than anybody else. Uh, you have to submit a, uh, an abstract. If the abstract's accepted, you have to then submit your paper, and it will be critiqued by the technical committee that Alan talks about and it's um, let's say they critique it very heavily. You get uh, you get quizzed. You cannot have anything commercial in it whatsoever. And then once you once the paper's been accepted, you then have to complete your slides and have them submitted for review. And there will be critique about that if you're trying to squeeze too much stuff onto them, or uh, or your your own personal logo is too uh, is too large. And then uh, when you actually are the presenter. You are given 20 minutes, and they mean 20 minutes, not 18, not 22, 20 minutes. They don't want it any, really want it to be 19 and a half or 21 and a half, and that's what you're allowed. It gets challenging at times to, to squeeze everything into it. But uh, having said that, it's still an amazing experience to be a speaker at BatCon, to stand up there on the stage and see 500-odd people in front of you actually all listening. Which is, you know, having spoken at many other conferences, as I said it's it's unusual to have that. the The audience are actually attentive, including some of the uh, the exhibitors that attend. But as for this year's BatCon, well, I, I as I say, I found it, it was we were short on people, uh, no doubt about that. But part of that was that a lot of our visitors tend to be on the utility side, and most of the utilities had a blanket ban on travel for personnel. So uh, we were short a lot of uh, visitors from that. And as Alan said, the, the international ones couldn't be there either. So that limited it. But the one thing I would say was that the uh, the people that were attending were interested, very interested indeed. It was the first BatCon I've ever been to where 
when the show closed on the second night, we still had potential customers standing at the booth talking to us. They hadn't yet disappeared to the bar. Right. But now I'll pass it back to my two colleagues because that was their first time at BatCon, and I'd be interested to hear what they thought of it. Yeah, I was going to say there, George, when you you were going on about the kind of the attentiveness, that was one of the major things that I noticed throughout the entirety of the show is how engaged the people that were there actually were. I've been to other conferences where it was almost uh, an escape for certain customers to be from their average work day or their average work life. But when it comes to BatCon, I was really impressed with how engaged everyone was there to learn. There was a lot of really great panels with experts on there. Um, and it kind of, there was a lot of what I would consider cutting edge seminars as well, which I found surprising. I thought it might be tied to specifically the lead acid batteries that were really well known within the industry, but there was quite a few on lithium ion and the different chemistries there, the technology there, and even presenters going on to say that they saw that as being a big part of future BatCon. So it kind of led me to a question that I had for both you and Alan, and and that is, George, you were at the last one. Alan, you were at, at one two years ago prior to COVID hitting, and you guys were also at the very early ones. Where has it gone as far as those seminars and those topics? Do those change quite variably from year to year, or is it pretty consistent on the topics that happen at BatCon, or are we in like a state of perpetual change now? We're probably in a state of slow change. Uh, one of the things about BatCon is, and I'm a member of the technical committee, we listen to the attendees. You probably noticed at BatCon there were survey forms handed out. I don't know if they did it this year or not, but I suspect they did, and which asked various questions, what people thought of the conference, what they want to see at future conferences. Now, after the conference ends. Uh, the technical committee adjourns to a hotel room or a hotel suite, and they go through every one of those critique forms and pay attention to it. The early BATCONs, we didn't have breakout sessions. Uh, we didn't have the three or four seminars that we have before the actual conference. Those seminars have come pretty fixed. In other words, there's uh, one on the PRC 005 and NERC requirements. There's one on battery basics. There's one on beyond the basics. But there also is another one which changes from year to year. And uh, I believe this year it was to do with emerging technologies. So it does change slightly. Uh, initial BATCONs, we didn't have the breakout sessions, you know, the utility workshops and the UPS workshops and telecom workshops. So it is changing and it will change. But only at slowly, and I think we've found a formula that works. So this next year's would probably be pretty much the same. I don't expect to see much, much of a change. So that you know, you asked me that question. That's my honest answer. Well, I can I can add to that um, because we have such a, quite a large percentage of the attendees um, are actually first time attendees over the years, there's been a much larger attendance, we think. So uh, sometimes there are, there are papers on on the platform that are a little bit more basic, shall we say, in some cases, or, or seem to be a repeat if you've been a regular attender. But that's part of that is to, is to encourage the, uh, the new people to, to, to get involved and, uh, and understand what we're talking about. But Alan's right, the... Uh, the pre-courses, the, the the courses on the day before, uh, they become very big. Now, it was to start with, it was just almost like a precursor to get some people involved. But um, unfortunately, I I didn't didn't go down for any. I actually, I will be honest, I didn't actually look at the program well enough to to realize what was on for the because normally I don't attend any of the ones the day before. But this time there was a a, a very good session on emergency technologies. Uh, that I missed, but then I ended up talking to the the gentleman that had put the the actual session on, and uh, he was kind enough to send me a copy of the of the slides so that I could actually see them. And uh, they, it was an excellent, it really was an excellent uh, session. Some very interesting thoughts and processes. And one of the one that I think will, you know, we just talked in the previous podcast. If you listen to it. Uh, Alan and I talked about 
uh, disruptive technologies. Well, let, let me tell you that for the first time, I actually do believe that we do have some disruptive technologies that are coming along. The most interesting fact about it is, though, that they're not actually new technologies. They're very old technologies. They just we're learning how uh, to make the chemistry work. And the big advantage is that uh, the two that I was really interested in uh, are based around um, zinc, which is um, one of the most uh, available metals in the world. And uh, so, you know, we're not talking about a shortage of supply here. And that's that's that but that makes it interesting because as I think we said we talked about during the disruptive one one of the problems we have with uh, lithium other than the fact that it it's not very stable is that um, the, the actual metal the materials we require is short supply so that was I would say that of the of the sessions I'd have liked to almost seen a couple of those papers in the session but one of the problem again one of the problems you have with that is. They are done by people, and they're talking about products from their own company. And we, the technical committee, are very focused on not having anything that is advertising within the main body of the program. So, in a sense, if you if you're going to be there talking about your product and your company, you have to be in the in the pre-conference part of it. But that was interesting. But I'm more interested. I'll come back again and say to to one of the things that. Uh, you think you said to me, Andrew, when I, I asked you what you thought of the show was um, you you were sort of somewhat um, derogatory, shall we say, when you said, "Well, you're all grey-haired." I will neither confirm or deny that aspect, but I did find a couple things. There are a lot of experts there, and and I really am appreciative that a lot of it was non-commercialized, not pitched towards a specific product. I know there are people there to do that, and there is the expo to do that at. But from a learning perspective, you know, I'm, I'm out in the field a lot with customers, hearing about their pain points and, and different ways we can bring solutions to them. So I found it very enlightening that I could sit there in that same session and hear our customers, you know, a lot of utilities and power generation uh, uh, employees actually go through and ask questions that really are painful to them because then I can understand more from their perspective about it. But a lot of the experts were experts that were in lead acid for a long time, you can tell. So that's just kind of the opinion that I had when it came to that. But I was viewing it from a very specific, you know, a lot of the engineers that I do speak with are either towards the end of their careers or they're a young engineer that's finally brought a company like us in to talk about some of the newer technologies because a lot of what we do is on the more newer side or maybe not so status quo when it comes to, say, battery monitoring. But I found it very enlightening. And and actually, you know, our other colleague here, Eric, is our service manager. And I thought he would be coming at it from a different angle as well. So I was happy to see he was there and, and Eric, I just wanted to get your thoughts from the seminars and, and your first BatCon, what you thought overall about the actual conference. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really good visit. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I avoided BatCon for many, many years just because my perception from what I've gathered was just a bunch of old guys arguing about what's best and what works and what doesn't work. And so I just never really saw the value of going down there. And, and so this trip was really eye-opening opening to me. I really enjoyed uh, a lot of the sessions. You know, the, the one take that I think I mentioned to you, George, was just kind of having a little bit of information before some of those sessions of what to anticipate, whether we can see the slides or just a general map out of what's going to be discussed. And that way, two parts to that I looked at was just allowing myself to be a little bit more prepared going into those sessions. So I wouldn't be so timid to go up on like the Q&A session. Maybe I can have something in the back of my mind of understanding of what's really truly being discussed. And just to give me a little bit more preparation. The other thing I, I really enjoyed was it was definitely George your session where it was just a very open forum discussion about maintenance, and it was just you can kind of see even with the, the three panel where everybody has their almost different understanding of what needs to be done, and it was very refreshing to kind of see a lot of different di different types of discussion on on different measures of what's right, what's adequate, what's what's correct, and. My understanding of that is there's not necessarily one true exact way to do a lot of different things. And so that was very refreshing 
to just kind of hear that that group discussion because you can just kind of understand of, of directions that maintenance are going to be going. So that was beneficial to me as far as the service standpoint. And then when we got into the um, UPS workshop, that was a, a discussion I was very excited to be a part of because, you know, I think looking at this conference, the big thing, I think a lot of the vendors and, and everybody who went to this was really trying to understand what is lithium? Is this really the future where everybody needs to go into? And I think at least my take, it's not ready yet. And, but I want to understand why is it not ready? What, what, what are we missing? What, what needs to be done in that UPS discussion? You know, George had a really good point, but that was a heavy discussion about what's maintenance on lithium batteries. How can we do maintenance? What would it look like? And, and George had some really good angles of just kind of ways to measure it. And, you know, you hear some people chime in of, oh, well, you just, you know, pull the data off the BMS and you just throw it on an Excel file. Well, you're having manipulated data because the BMS is really regulating what those data points are, but are you getting true information? And so I was very appreciative of of that discussion. And I think that was probably the most beneficial. I mean, the seminars were great. The, I wish I would have known, I wish I would have flown down a day before to partake in something like the NERC compliance changes. I I didn't know that was happening. And then again, George, when you talk about some of the, the zinc technology that's coming on, I know there was a gentleman that was presenting, I want to say Friday, on his technology as well, what they're doing in the manufacturing aspect. And so I kind of wish I would have known a little bit more that I almost felt like the middle was great, but like towards the end, like the workshop and then the NERC would have been really good. And then just future technology discussion, I would have really enjoyed those. So I definitely kind of kicked myself. I, I should have planned my trip a little bit better, but you know, again, first trip, didn't really know what to expect, but again, that open group discussion was, I, I could do, five days of that, because that was the most informative thing that, that I, I took out of all of that. Thank you. Thank you for the nice comments <laughs> there, uh, Eric. But um, in fact, that uh, originally I was not involved at all. I was going to actually turn the utility workshop uh, out of interest. But um, just let's say that as I came out from lunch, I was co-opted by the two gentlemen that were actually cheering it. And uh, it was, you are coming. We might need your help. Something about the fact that I'm not uh, I'm not unhappy about standing up and talking. I think that was something to one of their comments. So uh, I got to know, but just to come back to something else you asked about, and it's, it's something that I've talked to Alan about. Uh, traditionally, the uh, BACON used to give you, as when you registered, you were given a large book with all the papers in it. And then over the years, that uh, moved from the book to a flash drive. Uh, but this time they were told that because a lot of the utilities will not allow flash drives to be used for security reasons, they decided that they are they were going to put them up on the web. The problem was they didn't, and I don't know if they're actually up there. I should have looked before we come on here to talk about it. But um, no, they weren't. They weren't there, and I totally agree with you. And believe me, there was a lot of people. The uh, normal the people that attended backcons in the past were complaining about the same thing. I would I would always look at what on the program, what was I interested in. Then I'd go and read the paper, and then I felt much much better about going and sitting in the session. And uh, you, you have to look upon it. The, the paper should be almost like the the ingredients of the cake, shall we say? But the actual presentation is the icing and decoration on the top. And that's you know the two parts are really important. And you and I think there would be there was probably a lot of uh, comments about that on the technical committee because most of the people that were arguing or upset about it were on the technical committee so i can imagine what the meeting was like but um yeah that was uh it was i think the the, the it was just a little bit of the, because the conference was put off and then brought you know last year and then brought back in again i think a few things uh, got missed because i'm not even sure they were convinced it was going to be a backcon until a couple of weeks you know based on attendees. So that's part of it. But I'm, I'm actually fascinated by uh, by your thoughts there. That's good. Yeah, I would almost say uh, let Alan jump in here and then maybe dive into some of the actual topics that, that Eric talked about and some other ones that I know that I had. Yeah, let me be a little bit of an apologist for BatCon. Eric, you're exactly right. It would have been great to you know get the everything up front. This is the first year that's happened. Where where it hasn't happened, there was another reason as well, and that was to do with uh, 
you uh, not finances. Was it you not no, being there? Yeah, me not being there. It's to do with finances. Uh, in other words, uh, the people that pay the bill in Nova Spiritus, and we're thankful for that, uh, realized that uh, they were going to lose money. So they tried to cut back in several directions. And one of the directions was that uh, I believe that uh, getting everything on a stick, because uh, that was really a lame excuse. If the certain companies have problems with their employees loading, you know, putting in a flash drive, a thumb drive, then they, they don't have to do that, but everybody else can. The other thing is that we're having a planning meeting on the 6th of uh, December. And one of the things I'm going to bring up at that is that, that we go back to the paper copy of the proceedings uh, for an additional charge. Because it is quite expensive to produce those. So for an extra $20 or something on your subscription, you get a paper copy of the proceeding. So, and, right. uh, I thought that would have been big too, uh, Andrew. What what was the session that we attended? It was like the the standards, like the regulations. So they're running through like IEEE twelve nine, like all these different numbers. And I know it's fluent for everybody speaking on behalf of it, and who's making these regulations and changes to just throw these numbers out. But I'm sitting here. I'm like, I wonder what that one says. I wonder what they're referencing to because it's if I had even just a list of of what you know standards they were talking about and discussing and what the new ones were coming down and what changes they were doing just to have almost a general outline of what's being discussed. That would have been even just for that class alone to have some sort of documentation of what's being discussed because you just hear all those, you know, 0.2.3 and you're just kind of lost in translation. And that that's where that paper copy would come into play for layman like yeah. us, you know, they, they had some experts in, and I believe a pretty well-known one was uh, Curtis Ashton. And he came up and was at the mic and, and talking about specific different guidelines. But for the average person who's there, who's within the industry, we it's hard for us to actually differentiate between some of those different references, what's all in each one of them. And without that background knowledge or uh, you know piece of document, it's really hard for us to keep up. Not only to keep up, we're sitting there trying to process it, but then for us to go up and, and feel confident to ask a specific question. Because there's certain things that were going on that I know both myself and Eric, we saw how it could tie into our career or our, our business or what we do as a service, but didn't know exactly how to word it, put it up there um, to see where it would fit in, which one we were talking about, which guideline. So those were just some of the things that I, I saw with that, that I, I would agree there. Yeah, I, I uh, sometimes back, I, I wrote a white paper on uh uh, various codes and standards. Uh, I'll revisit that document uh, with a view to not only making it available to Eagle Eye personnel, but also to the uh, our customers. I think Eric has a great idea. You know, if we had something that says, you know, PR that uh, IEEE 1491 dash whatever refers to, you know, things you might monitor on the power system. So, uh, and then, you know, you could go and uh, hopefully find a copy of that document. One of the things about unique things about BATCON as well is that uh, it's one of the few conferences where the list of attendees is not made public. And attendees love that because it means that they don't have every salesman in the universe sending them information after the conference and everything else. So uh, that's quite unique as well. So uh, people appreciate that. It definitely kept me on my toes because anytime I was speaking to anyone at the conference, it was very hard for me to know, is this an expert that's going to be presenting tomorrow that uh, knows a ton more about this from me and, and what can I learn from him? So I was very precise in, in what I would say and, and making sure that I only spoke about what I know. And, and I try to do that always, but you know, when you talk about salesmen, I do fall into that category here. So, and, and I know... On other related things, George loves to poke at uh, salesmen. He's got this famous line that he likes to say, uh, it's so simple, a salesman could do it, um, which I think he took from Geico. But I've always enjoyed that. So I try to watch what I say around seasoned experts that know a lot more about the industry than me. But I, I did find the whole conference very enlightening. And wherever you guys want to go with it, I, I'd like to talk a little bit more about even the, the maintenance panel that you did, George. I found that like a Eric alluded to it a little bit, but I thought that was great because you had three panel members, 
Well, actually, I think you had four up there. The other one was more of the the uh, narrator, so to speak. But he was also answering questions and seemed to be an expert in his own his own right. So I found that to be one of the most open, engaging ones, because each one of you kind of had your own history and actually disagreed with each other, but also at the same time agreed with each other. As there are nuances within the industry, and that's really what it's always come. You know, one of the other things that I've always heard in this industry is, is the line of, it depends. And I saw that that's where it really comes from. There's so many subtle nuances all the way down from when you guys were talking about equalization uh, to the specific gravity readings and, and some of the importance of that fading over time. I thought those were all really important subjects that even this past week when I was talking to some customers, you know, they were still doing all of those exact things. So I know that there's a lot of things that change over time and there's a lot of education that does need to happen. That, that, that session, uh, uh, Andrew, was, it was very interesting because um, up to now, I, you know, as Alan knows, I had never actually done a panel session. I've always been a speaker. And uh, at, the speakers have to, as, you, as you've seen, you basically you, you, the three speakers get the chance to do their presentations and then you have the question and answer afterwards. So it wasn't unusual for me to sit there and answer questions, you know, as they're being asked. That wasn't part of it. But um, I wasn't originally on that panel at all, but somebody dropped out and uh, Alan volunteered me for it, which was, which was fine. But, uh, yeah, that uh, the... Believe it or not, that is not quite the way that some of these panels work. Quite often, they, uh, in the past, they've been more focused on uh, the individual personnel answering the question and you know, somebody else maybe answer the question. I don't know whether it just somehow we got into it and ended up having conversations between the three panelists at the same time. It was, there was the, the two things happened, which is, as Alan would tell you, is, is quite unusual. and. Uh, when we finished, what you didn't hear because our mics were off by that time, when we all stood up and started talking about it, was the comment was, wow, that was different, but it seemed to work. But I, again, it may well just been that the three of us, Jose and I, got on very well. We, we, we quite often have these discussions about in the nitty-gritty of it rather than the uh, the broad brush term. And um, Leslie is very very organized she she ran her own company for many many years she's a she's a PE and you you don't argue with her on facts about anything because you're going to be beaten on it I guarantee you but we just as you said we we never disagreed on on what we were telling you it was just there was different viewpoints on on how it should be applied and a little bit of banter between us depending on what our uh, what we felt was the most important part of it but that, that i i thought i totally enjoyed myself doing that panel i have to say that uh it, we you know we came to the end there and it was wow have we done what was it we were on there for about an hour and a half wasn't it something like that and it was good but um but again i also agree with uh, the workshops the the it's very important when they do the workshop to have the basically the the, the leaders at the front to be able to manage it because I've been I've been to a couple where they didn't quite work, and I've been to other ones like like the one we had on UPS where it it did work. Uh, we managed to get the everybody involved, asking questions, talking about it, and um, and being able to then think about what somebody said and come back and talk about it. You know, just add a few questions in there. The objective in the end is to stir it up and get as many uh, get get people talking, and that that quite often is a hard thing to do, but. Um, by the way, folks, I just went on the BATCON website, www.batcon, B-A-T-T-C-O-N.com. The 2021 papers are not up there yet. It says coming soon. Uh, but I'd like to remind all our listeners that all of the BATCON papers, basically from uh, day one, are on that website under the archives. So all you have to do is go in and enter a few details, and you can check on every paper that has ever been presented at BATCON. And for Eric, you and your guys might be a very, very useful tool. You'll see that George has presented numerous papers, so have I. But you can search under, you can search under title as well. You know, you want to do maintenance or monitoring or whatever. And uh, maybe the exception is the first couple of BATCONs because then we were still using acetate sheets and overhead projectors. 
and uh, and uh, not dating yourself at all. No, no. Uh, what's an overhead projector? People are saying, but uh, but uh, it's a very useful site. That's one of the things that Batcom prides itself on. Probably the only conference that I've ever known or ever been attended that does that put, uh, publishes all the papers. Yeah, that, that's pretty incredible, and just a vast library of resources. And I definitely want to come back to since you're talking about Batcon and what it's done since the beginning. Why is it that you guys have limited it to 500? I know you said the intimacy. Isn't there a lot more people within the industry that would be signing up to try to come then? Or where is it? Do you think that will ever expand? Uh, probably not. There's more than you know the interactive consideration as well. We do want it to be an interactive conference. Uh, we also wanted to uh, keep it into smaller venues. You know, you go above that 550 mark, 600, then you're looking at larger hotels. I, I didn't agree with the hotel choice this year. Nothing against, uh, you know, Hard Rock Cafe, Casino, whatever you wanted. But I, I prefer it at venues where there's not too many outside distractions. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the exhibitors seem to like it that way as well. Uh, they like to keep down. No, normally, we have about 60 exhibitors, and people like it that way. One of the unique things about BatCon, again, is the exhibits do not conflict with the body of the conference itself. Exhibits are in the evening, and we attract people to come to the exhibit hall by offering free food and drink. How unique is that? So uh, there's several reasons for keeping the, the numbers down. Mainly, uh, one of the questions on the survey usually is, maybe it was this year, I don't know, would you like to you know, limit the number of attendees to whatever? And every year it comes out, limit the number of attendees. So we do, we do what the, uh, the customers want. Yeah, that's a really valid point. And, and I, I do want to jump over to Eric. Eric, when we were talking about some of the maintenance stuff on that panel, was there anything that uh, George had mentioned that kind of flew to mind to you from being from the maintenance side? You know, I, I had noticed the specific gravity, the equalized, and some of the different aspects and, and those nuances there. And, you know, as George mentioned, it wasn't that they were disagreeing. But to me, what I t walked away from it was there was levels of priority when it comes to maintenance and levels of priority that experts agree on. Was there anything that you walked away from that panel from with a mindset change or some, something that you guys do out in the field that was validated by it? You know, nothing really stands out too much. I mean, a lot of the stuff, I mean, definitely with, with the specific gravities, uh, you know, my general understanding of that for the last 10 years has just been it's been slowly but surely moving away from it and then i think the big thing that really stood out to me was it was kind of like the single cell charging and kind of the approach with that the equalized thing i kind of disagree with that to an extent <laughs> it's just one of those things where i again it just kind of sh even shows what the panel is just i think everybody looks at their past experiences and what results and what you know you've done out in the field personally and so i, I think the general reception is you do not do any equalized charge on any vrla and i've found it to be beneficial from time to time on some of my vrla products so there was a lot of insight that that definitely came back to me but i would say the biggest one was just a single cell charger and how it's just kind of approaches it's irrelevant it's just it's not going to change much and so that that really stood out to me because I know in the UPS world, a lot of our the customers that I've had before, they're, they're huge on the single cell chargers. And is it really effective or are we just kind of delaying the inevitable? I, I don't know. And it's just, I really appreciate that discussion. And it, it opens my eyes too, to where it's like you look at, you know, doing a lot of the maintenance on the field and you're kind of looking you're like, oh man, they need to make some changes. They need to make some modifying. And you can kind of just tell by hearing that panel discussion it's like now you kind of understand why some of these timelines of why these changes aren't so radical and instant because it's there's a lot that goes into it and, and a huge appreciation for everybody on the panel because you can tell they're doing their due diligence they've, they've experienced this I, i've i heard more people even in the crowd where people have like these lab setups and they're continuously testing new ideas and thoughts on, on how to do stuff so that was really refreshing to me because it's, it's not so black and white that i i think in my maintenance, you know, time doing maintenance is that to me, it seems so black and white, but it definitely opens up a lot of understanding of the logic behind it and why we can't just necessarily eliminate these things or, or do it in a different fashion. It was, it was very informative. They're very valid comments, Eric. And uh, I just want to remind people of a couple of things. Uh, one is that uh, the, well, I agree with you on equalize on VRLA cells. I'm not a fan of that, but 
I'm not a fan of specific gravity either for various reasons, but you've got to remember that all of the IEEE standards guides practices, they're consensus documents. That the three distinct groups attend IEEE meetings, maybe four, but uh, one is the manufacturers, two is the end users, and three is the people in between the installers, the integrators, the maintainers. So to get a document passed, really you have to compromise in some things. And uh, one of the early examples of that was to do with ohmic measurements. Uh, IEEE actually, IEEE document created that term because at the time there was capacitance, there was inductance, there was DC resistance. So what's what's the generic generic term for it? Oh, ohmic measurement. But uh, all of the IEEE maintenance standards, installation standards, they are consensus documents. So depending on which aspect you come from, good example of that is, for instance, is uh, you talked about equalized charging, but uh, I don't know if one manufacturer would recommend equalized charging of uh, a VLA battery, but a VLA battery is a completely different animal. And uh, they always tell you to equalize that before you do a load test, which may, to me is stupid because you want to do a load test in the asphalt conditions. But the reason they have it in there and it was driven by the manufacturers because when you equalize the battery, not only do you equalize to try and equalize the voltage, but you also blow the bubbles off the plates, which gives the battery a better performance. In the old days, we used to walk around and just thump the cells, but uh, the uh, manufacturers didn't like that. So anyway, <laughs> that's my couple of cents worth uh, with regard to uh, some of these standards you come across, Eric. Yeah, I think too, and you know, just kind of trying to recapture what was discussed. I think the other big thing that was really informative too is, was baselines. You know, what's what's the proper way of capturing baselines, and, and that was kind of a, a different perspective with each panel person as well. Where it's just like, okay, well, what is your baselines? How are you capturing it? And one of the bigger discussions that I thought was very valid is a lot of times when we're stepping into a new facility, point in case, everything that we're doing with with the monitoring systems that are that we're doing is those are existing batteries. And so George saw that email yesterday as well, where we had a customer talking about, okay, well, we need to capture baseline data. This is what we want to see, but we're stepping into systems that are five years, 10 years, you know, let's listen this last week, we stepped into a battery that's 21 years old and it's, you know, they want strong baseline data. So how, what's the, what's the correct way of finding what's the true baselines? And, you know, you hear from Curtis, oh, you can reach out to manufacturers and they can give you some of those baselines. And then there's the other means where it's like, okay, well, let's look at how I've always looked at it. It was like, if you step into a new battery system, I've always gone off the median of, of what your readings are. And that's always been my perspective of, I've set a threshold in my mind of 20, 30% to where that's an alarming cell based off internal resistance of 20 or 30% over the median. But it's, that was, that was really good on, on understanding those baselines. You know, I felt like a lot of perspective too on, on those baselines were, it was almost kind of like you scale back, like you almost anticipate what the initial baselines were and where they're at now. And so I get, I get the idea of reaching out to a manufacturer, but I've always looked at every battery system is different. I, I think it's really hard to say these are the set values, every battery coming off the line for that specific make and model. I think that's a really hard data point to just say, this is it. You, you can't, unfortunately, that's, that's part of the problem. As I say, there's a, there was a, a particular white paper that C&D produced and they, they talk about and, and show a bunch of standard values. And then in the next paragraph, they say that um, those values can actually vary by plus or minus 20% on a, on a, new, on a new battery, you know. So uh, it's a waste of time. You, you can only use the, I think that's part of what I was talking about, you can, you can only use the information that's there. And rather than the alarm points at that point, you are looking at anything that is changing more than another one that's changing. That's, you know, but it comes back to what uh, we talked about in the previous podcast about the fact is you have to analyze the data. You can't, at that point, you have to look at the data you're collecting and make sense of it. The other thing is that, you know, you said you didn't, you didn't see a lot of value in single cell charging. Well, uh, in a sense, maybe not, but it's, but it is a tool of analysis, if you have had a recharge and that cell did not, or cell unit did not come up, you can do a single cell charge on it. And if it comes up and stays there, then that's that's fine. It was just not accepting the charge at the same rate. 
But if it starts to drop off again, it's an analysis tool. You're, you're now saying, okay, I brought it back up. Now it's dropping off. And you can um, you can say that uh, there's something the matter with that uh, seller unit. And the same with uh, my comment about the uh, specific gravity was. No, it's not a guide to state of charge, but it is if you have a question about the battery and you check it at the different levels, you get an indication as to what the problem might be and what the corrective action should be. So it's, I suppose I have a slightly different viewpoint on analysis as everybody that knows me very well knows that very strongly. I look at every piece of data we gather as informative. You have to analyze the combination of the, the things to do. It's just the way I look at it. But um I say that that's the sort of thing that you do get out of back on that that level of difference of opinion, shall we say, but not not a difference of viewpoint rather than opinion. Maybe it's a better way to put it. Right, and I think every, every scenario is different. You know, we talked, you know, capturing those baselines, and you know, everybody's instant. Oh, I wouldn't say instant, but like the best logical way is just run a capacity test, mm-hmm. and then you're going to understand where the battery's at. But understanding being out in the fields is two different things than telling a customer we need to, to hit your batteries. And especially if it's a VRLA battery that's eight, nine years old, I think you're going to get a lot of pushback. So it's it, it was great for me to hear a lot of different ways that there's not a wrong way to capturing the baselines, but you got options. There's options that, you know, the panel to an extent agreed upon, but for the most part, it, it was it was getting to where you needed to be. And I, I think, you know, especially with the BMS stuff that we're doing right now, and trying to get our software capturing these baselines, you know, what is a baseline, you know, even the discussion of once you install a battery, what's kind of the adequate time to let that battery settle in? My mind's always been six months, wait six months, mm-hmm. let the battery settle in. And then those are kind of your baselines. And so that was almost, you know, pretty much confirmed um, at BatCon. And so now going back to what we do, it's like, you know, we go install this system what's the best and adequate way to capture some of these data points and create these baselines. So now we really do have a multiple ways of, of what I feel is, is an effective way to, to understand and, and capture those baselines. Well, I, I think what I'm going to say about that is I think you, you gained a lot from the, from attending BatCon. And I think that uh, from Alan's perspective, because he's been involved with it since day one, um, that always has been the objective of BatCon. And it's it's really nice to be able to sit here and have this conversation and say, wow, you know, you're actually talking to people that the first time there, you have come away with information that at least is starting a conversation. And that's probably the key part to it, is this whole thing about starting a conversation and and making people interested in, in, in doing it. Would you agree, Alan? Yeah. And, uh, you know, to Eric's point about baselines, or you've Open a jar of worms there, Eric, but uh, with a new battery, new VRLA battery, uh, you're correct, six months. Uh, all this information is contained in the uh, IEEE 1187, 1188. Uh, that's where that 30% uh, value, warning value, and 50% uh, your dead value, that's where that comes from. A lot of research went into that. But uh, BATCON's a learning forum. Uh, that's how it started because we we try to teach people about applying their batteries, you know, and we try to teach people that uh, not really one way of doing things. You know, as I said, there's a lot of gray hairs at BatCon, but they're going to tell you different things than those of you, I was going to say, with uh, younger hair, but Eric, you know, will make an exception for you. But uh, people like Andrew and yourself, just because we've done things like that for years and years and years, and I'm guilty, we appreciate different points of view. And you, you'll probably get a lot of, it depends at that count, into answers. But I can't remember one so-called expert that it says to somebody, you're wrong. They won't do that. They'll say, well, that might not be the best way to do it. And that's completely different when somebody stands up and asks a question. You know, they're not going to get brushed off and said, now nah, you're wrong. You know, the approach is, eh, let's look at that from a different direction or you know, maybe there's a better way of doing it. So, BatCon, to me, is the most open conference. Those of you who have gone to other conferences, uh, George, like Intellect, as a famous example, that conference was a disaster. You know, so uh, we won't go there. But anyway, BatCon, hopefully it will survive. There's a lot of talk about uh, sponsorship now. 
it's a very expensive thing to to sponsor BatCon and Vertif, as I know for fact, has invested thousands of dollars into it. I know they lost money this year, but that's you know, that's because they didn't have the 500 attendees and the 60 exhibitors. So hopefully it will survive. But uh, just keep an eye on our our newsletters and listen to our podcast, and we'll we'll keep you appraised of what's happening in BatCon. Yeah, I'd like to talk about one, just one more thing before we uh, we we're obviously getting towards the end of this podcast. But it was something that uh, another of Andrew's comments when I asked him what he thought of it was, he was, uh, and it's something that's very, in many ways, is unique to to Batcon. I think, is that uh, had difficulty understanding the fact that we all appeared to be good friends. That the, that he was there as a salesman. And theoretically, uh, half the other people that were there were salesmen, were his competitors when we're coming to, to selling to the end user. Yet all of us were uh, talking, drinking, though it was uh, just one happy family. And that is, it's very true. It's, it's, it's unusual in that respect. But I would say that part of it is that a lot of the time, the people that we are, we are friends with are also involved in the IEEE in setting these recommended practices and, and standards. So, uh, you know, at that point, you are, you have to be one family, as, uh, as Alan said about the fact that everybody's there with a different opinion and it ends up having to be a consensus. So you learn how to, to build a consensus within uh, on the IEEE committees. And as a result, you, you actually do start to become friends with these people. And that just carries over into the backcon side of it. And uh, the other standard response you'll get from a lot of us, this is a very small industry worldwide. There's not, there's not as many people as you think involved at the levels that a lot of the speakers are. Uh, they're they're in, on global industries, but the numbers are, are quite small. So the other answer is you're never quite sure who your boss might be next week. You know, So you, you don't want to upset MD because that may well be your boss the following week. Yeah, I agree. and. And George, as you know, our flagship product has has always been battery monitoring. And so much of what we've covered here are all components or pieces of it, even down to the single cell charger. You know, the single cell charger, we can go in and out of that. But to me, one of the big things that our product does is it trends baseline. So understanding the baseline, like Eric said, and getting that solidified. And then once we trend it, the big goal there is to move customers from replacing entire battery systems to replacing single cells and saving themselves and doing longer duration lifespans of battery systems. So to me, a single cell charger then is, hey, we want to promote putting in a battery, a, a replacement battery, and then a single cell charger like you've taught before is you charge that battery up before you put it in the string. You initialize it and charge it and make sure it's ready to go. So a lot of these tools and these different topics that we cover, and in even back to your point about everyone, you know, patting each other on the back and, and they're somewhat competitors, I think the collaboration is needed. You know, we work with other people within the industry to understand how their product interacts with the battery and then how ours interact with the battery. And then all the service groups that we may compete on certain aspects with. Well, they bring back a lot of stories from the field of, hey, this is working, this isn't working, this is what we do, this is what we see. So I can completely understand the camaraderie that starts to take place there um, within the industry as, as I see it from my end. One of the things we didn't mention uh, about BatCon is that uh, Eagle Eye University had a presence there. And uh, I think it's a great asset to not only Eagle Eye, but to our customers. And when you think about it, a session with Eagle Eye University, one of the instructors. It's like a mini BatCon. You know, I, I know for myself, I know George does it. Talk to the customer, see what their needs are. Discuss what Eric's talked about. You know, discuss about single cell chargers. Discuss partial state of charge. Discuss ohmic values. All that thing. That's what one of the sessions at Eagle Eye University is like, basically. It's a mini BatCon. I couldn't agree more. And that- if, you're, if, if you're lucky, George... Uh, might buy you some drinks, even, just like BatCon. And tell you some stories about, about what he's seen out in the field, some of the different things there. And you as well, Alan, I know that you do some of them. And uh, that's continuing to grow. And I, I love so much, you know, we did a podcast 
about uh, industry disruptors. And, and I truly think within this industry, like you said, George, there's not that many people in it. And I think Eagle Eye itself is pretty special as an industry disruptor because we're bringing the full education, the services, and the solution. So we're bringing technological product into the market, but we're also doing exactly what Alan said is we have many backcons every week that we're training people, we're doing it in the classroom, teaching them on the theory, but then also turning and applying it in our battery systems rooms and, and actually putting hands-on training to them so they're familiarized with it. So I completely agree on on everything you covered there. It's it's kind of funny though, because I know we say the numbers were limited on, you know, industry experts, but my perception when I went down, I'm like, man, there's even more people. Like I thought that was even a smaller community and going down there, I'm like, I've never like Jose, I've never heard of Jose, never came across him in all my years in the DC world. Just haven't. I mean, I've, I've known Curtis for a, a handful of time. And then again, coming out with Eagle Eye, George and Alan, they were new to me too. And so it's, I thought that was really cool going down there and just kind of seeing a lot more than what I, you know, I felt were industry experts. Well, I think, I don't know. I, I think this is a good way to end it, guys. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, George, you got anything else to? No, I, I was uh, uh, Andrew and uh, Alan covered. It. I was I was just going to mention the fact about Eagle Eye University and the fact that um, you know that that is is I think Alan summed it up. I, a lot of at least I, I know a lot of my classes are as he said the uh, they, they tend to become mini discussions as part of it. Um, you know, I always say the very start is that you know. I, I'm not. I have a set of slides, but I'm not following a script, so you can stop me at any time. But just be aware is that I do tend to go off at tangents, and you may have to sit in the classroom a lot longer till I get it finished. But uh, it's you know, I think that's. I really think that's probably an important part of what Eagle Eye is achieving at the present moment, because the with all the changes that have gone on ever since the breakup of the Bell companies and and the rest of it, we are missing a couple of generations of knowledgeable power engineers so that training part is important so but uh, and but as i say backcon just to, to me is is a, is a key element of that i, I would disagree with alan about uh, the intellect conferences i think he's just jealous because he hasn't spoken at that one i have a number of times spoken there twice george no it would not at one i attended well, I think everyone should check out both of them and, and hopefully, you know, BatCon continues to be successful and, and I'm really looking forward to the next one, what I know from this one. Well, Intellect uh, at the moment no longer exists. Which is a shame. The, the, the one, to me, the one good thing about Intellect was, just as a point of view, was it was, it was very telecom orientated. But the, uh, the, the point was that one year it was in the US, the second year it was someplace international. It's been in Australia. One of the times I spoke was actually in Denmark, for instance. But that was good because it, it, it brought an even more international aspect to it. You got a, you got a lot of different viewpoints from the from, on a technical basis. So, it's the, but as Alan said, it's, it doesn't exist any longer. So I think Batcon killed intellect. It, yeah, it may well have done within the U.S. Definitely. Long live Batcon! I think. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's the the wrap up note here. So. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate the wrap-up. I kind of felt like I was there, but hopefully I will be maybe next year for, for real and actually get to learn firsthand and have one of those uh, those drinks with you, George. That'd be fun. Yeah, and next Why year was be? <laughs> next year's in Orlando. Unfortunately, it's November timeframe, October-November timeframe, but we are going to change that back to traditional time of uh, late April, early May. Yes, please, because uh, you know the, the one of the things that, that came up just to this is between us is the whole point about it is that from September through December, most companies are trying to get their orders and things placed for next year's you know the budget sold or spent. Uh, so you're you're really if you're selling at that where we were in November, you, you're really selling into the nineteen uh, two thousand twenty three year rather than two thousand twenty two. Whereas if you're doing it in April May time, you're 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 selling within this business year, which is a, a key thing to think about. Yeah. Well, we got Alan uh, as our as our man on the behind the curtain there, so hopefully he can make some things happen for us. So sounds good. Whenever it happens, uh, I know it's going to be great. So thanks thanks a lot for the for the re the recap, guys, and. 
we hope to see everyone there again next year and for many years to come. Okay, thanks. Thanks. We hope you can join us next time. And in the meantime, if you have any questions for the Battery Blarney Duo or anything else you want us to discuss in next week's episode, please email us at info at eepowersolutions.com. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you then.